Welcome everyone to this week's edition of CRE 101 meetup. Uh, this meetup we started back in April of this past year, and really we just want to be the go-to resource for all things commercial real estate. Uh, we've had some awesome speakers come come by the meetup over the last year, and today's no exception. We actually have Yona Weiss, who is a cost segregation guru. Uh, so I'm really excited to learn a lot about the the process uh, and the benefits it can have. So th thanks, Yona, for stopping by. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is uh, obviously a topic I'm very passionate about and happy to share with uh, with everyone. Awesome, man. So to start out, what we usually do is we like to learn a little bit more about the guests that we invite on on the on the meetup. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what got you into commercial real estate? Sure. Um, actually got involved in commercial real estate only about five, six years ago. So as you can see from the white hairs in my beard, I'm uh, <laughs> a little bit older than that. Um, I grew up in Southern California, um, actually moved to Israel for many years and was a teacher. That was really where my passion was and still lies in, in teaching, helping others. I'm a family man. I have six kids on my own and, um, you know, just love life, love uh, helping people. Started a nonprofit many years ago and just, you know, doing whatever I can, charity work, et cetera. That's kind of who I am. But, um, you know, from commercial real estate, you know, I can't. At a certain point, a teacher's salary just doesn't cut it. And so there, there's kind of a certain turning point in my life uh, close to six years ago. It was just like, okay, we need to start branching out, find something else, maybe a side hustle, something I can do, maybe get involved with. And I wasn't really interested in going back to school uh, to get any sort of postgraduate degree because I had spent many, many, many years doing that. And I wasn't also really interested in, uh, you know, in finding just some other little thing that might get a little bit of income. I was really interested in seeing how I could, you know, get to the top, right? <laughs> what would be, and real estate just kept coming up because I have conversations with friends and, uh, you know, acquaintances, families. My parents actually own a few, um, I think at this point, six out of state rentals, um, single family rentals that, you know, they've been doing for years. I never really thought about it much. I, you know, I wasn't involved in the business, wasn't involved in that. And that they just kind of bought on the side, but it just kept coming up. And so I just wanted to learn about it, got involved actually first with commercial mortgages, just to learn the industry, then doing some residential brokering. And at a certain point, I came across this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate, which I, I work for now, incredible company, great people, amazing culture. And, you know, they had an opening for, you know, business development of this cost segregation I was like, well, what, you know, tell me more about that. And it was all was, was most interesting to me was that it was this topic that first of all, it's all about helping people saving taxes. So I was into that. Okay. Help people fits with, with who I am. And then it was like this kind of mysterious, like mystique around it that was like, well, what is this? Who? And here, get this, this, and this will be just a great introduction to this call because I started just reach, I'd been involved in real estate for a few years and had uh, maybe about two years at this point and had a lot of friends, acquaintances. I literally just started going around asking everyone I knew about, you know, you know, about cost segregation. And I got two answers. That's it. Two answers from everyone across the board. Every single person I asked the question, I got one of two answers. It was either Number one, yes. Oh, of course. Conservation is awesome. I've been doing it for years. All my properties, wonderful, amazing tax benefit. Or the answer was, I have no idea what that is. I've never heard of it. 
So there was no middle ground. It wasn't like, you know, and I was talking to people who are real estate owners and real estate professionals and brokers, et cetera. And so that to me was like a fertile ground that I could use my uh, kind of background in teaching and just kind of get the word out there. And so that's really what's been developed over the past few years that I've become the cost irrigation guru, as you, as you said, an expert around the world that literally just I'm there to, to help people and uh, educate them on this subject that seems so complicated, but really isn't. No, and, 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 and it's interesting you have a teaching background because it really does show in the content you create because you come from a very giving type of mindset. So, I mean, all the content that I've seen you produce really comes from that, that, that deep-rooted teaching desire. So, uh, it, yeah, you do produce great content and you obviously are an expert in this, in this topic. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into some of these questions because I'm in, really interested in learning about the cost segregation as an, as an opportunity as well. So and I right. know you talked about cost segregation. Can you kind of give us a high level overview of exactly what cost segregation is? Yeah, absolutely. It, a high level overview, it is just an advanced form of depreciation. Okay, so what that means by advanced form of depreciation is when you own a property, you get this tax deduction, income tax deduction called depreciation. And it's not what it sounds like that yeah, something's going down in value. I mean, it's based on that concept, but really what it means is you get to take a tax write off because you bought a property and that's it. So that happens whenever you buy any type of property, whether it's investment property or business property, besides for your personal residence, any property gets this. So what happens is you're making money from your rentals, or if you're investing, whatever that is, you're making money income from that. And you get to automatically take a deduction to lower that income tax liability without having to do anything. That's called depreciation. What cost segregation is, is just allocating the cost or segregating the cost to different categories because there are things in the property that actually depreciate at a faster rate than what the uh, original depreciation schedule is. So for commercial properties, it's on a 39 year schedule, which means you can take the whole purchase price and then subtract a little bit for land, which doesn't depreciate. And then now you get to take a little deduction every single year equally for 39 years or for residential properties, it's 27 and a half years. That's, I mean, that's great. You get to literally <laughs> wipe out your tax liability and lower that, but it's only a little bit every year, right? Um, so what you get to do with cost irrigation is allocate certain amount things in your property to different categories that actually depreciate faster. So for example, like furniture, right? Cabinets, appliances, you know, carpeting, stuff that's in your building is non-structural actually depreciates on a five-year schedule, which means you can take that value as a tax write-off at a faster rate. So in a nutshell, that's our high level and we can kind of break it down from there. Oh, for sure. And so, and, and this kind of leads into our next question based on the depreciation itself. So for, for a passive investor, for example, if, if you're investing in, in real estate passively, what are some of the benefits of doing a cost segregation and how does that offset maybe some income? So first and foremost, um, because you're investing passively, you get the depreciation allocated to you according to your percentage of ownership or percentage of, of equity in that deal. So, you know, first and foremost, you get to usually have a tax write-off against your income. And in many cases, if a conservation study is being done on that investment property, very often in the first year or even in the first five years, you can have all of your income being totally wiped out without any tax liability whatsoever, which means I don't know of any other 
type of investment vehicle that I can think of that you're not only getting returns on that investment cash rate returns, but you are getting that without having to have a tax liability on that for the first several years. Oh, for sure. And, and, and for the passive investor, it's really offsetting their, I guess, passive income, is it? So That's it's correct. the depreciation offsets just their passive income, not necessarily their, if they're, if they're a W-2 employee or something like that. How, how does that work? That's correct. The really important point uh, you bring up that cost segregation or depreciation in general is considered a passive deduction. And that goes first and foremost against your passive income, your Schedule E rental property income. Okay. So if you have, let's say, for example, um, theoretically, you had more deductions than you actually had income. Let's say you made, you know, $10,000 from your income property, from your rental property income, and you had $20,000 of deductions, you would you know, wipe out that $10,000. You wouldn't pay any tax on that. And the remaining $10,000 would create a passive loss. That means it wouldn't, you couldn't use it, but it would carry forward. You could use it in future years. That's for an ordinary investor, someone who, like you said, has a W-2 job, they're investing. However, and maybe we're going to get to this uh, with another question. I think you were, but a great segue into it is there something called a real estate professional. And so a lot of you out there that may be involved in maybe brokering or um, you're, you're a property manager, you own properties also, or you, you know, are rental and you're, you're involved in that or your spouse is. Okay, only one of you needs this status, which allows you to use those passive losses against your ordinary income as well. Okay, so we can touch, get a little more deep on that, but just to give you that example, that extra $10,000 that you wouldn't have been able to use, you could then, if you're a real estate professional, use that against your ordinary income and just compound that, you know, multiply that by 10 or, or 20 on a bigger property and more income. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think this is even, like you said, more profound if you're a real estate professional. And for those of you guys who are just tuning in, the real estate professional, there are certain criteria you have to hit in order to qualify. I think one is like 750 hours per year or something along those lines. Um, and then there's some other criteria as well. And I'm sure I'll, I'll put it in the show notes below to kind of give you an idea of what that qualifies as. But you're right. With a real estate professional, you can offset your your, your income that you generate through your either brokerage business or, you know, if you, if you're just a full-time property manager for your own properties, that could also be something you could offset as well. So right. that's super, super beneficial as well. So when you're on site, and, and this is something that I'm really interested in, how exactly is a cost segregation study performed? I'm assuming there's probably an engineer that you deal with or how, how does it work? Absolutely. Yeah. So the way that it works is it involves an engineering component. Like you said, there's an engineering component involved. This is something that even though it's tax related and we're talking about depreciation and tax deductions and all that, it's not something that most accountants do. And when I say most accountants, I mean 99% of accountants and accounting firms out there do not do consolidation because it requires this engineering component to it. Because essentially what we're doing is we're coming to the property and identifying from a construction engineering perspective, all of the different components of the property and how much depreciates on a different schedule. And I mentioned a few of those assets before, right? They'll come in and they'll identify, you know, they'll look at, take pictures, measurements, you know, a video of, of the whole property, see, well, you have X amount, you know, 200,000 square feet of carpeting and, you know, cabinets, et cetera. Uh, pavement on the outside also depreciates faster, right? Land improvements, things like carpet, um, landscaping or fencing or concrete, if you have a parking lot or driveway, anything like that. So they're coming in, identifying, creating this very detailed report, right? Which is like about a hundred pages long or so. And in that creates this one page that that's the accounting method. So that's the depreciation schedule. You go and hand that off to your accountant. But yes, there is an engineering component involved and you really need to have that done in order to, to really 
get the maximum benefits. So they will come to the property, whether physically or actually because of um, COVID, we actually transition. Our firm, we're the biggest national company that's doing this. We're working in all 50 states. And we recently just transitioned to doing a lot more um, virtual site tours. So meaning our engineers will still be involved and we have a full team of 16 full-time engineers. But what happens is they're going to be able to now see the property with someone, the help of someone on site. So not necessarily them traveling there, but rather to, uh, you know, get that visual and get that video recording of them walking the property virtually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I guess my next question would just be, could you maybe differentiate between an existing build versus a new construction? Cause I'm assuming once you're, when you're building the property, um, obviously those components are being built in right away versus like an existing property. And how does that affect the depreciation schedule? So if the building's like 30 years old, does that affect how you depreciate it? Or if you can just elaborate on that? Sure. So when you're building a, a new property, just like you said, a new development, you know pretty much, right? Because you have all the invoices and you can tell how much has been spent on each individual asset. You know how much has been spent on paving the parking lot. You know how much has been spent on cabinets. That's going to be depreciated according to the specific amounts being spent, okay? And your depreciation is based on your tax. It's called a tax basis. That depreciation is based on how much was spent. So if you're new construction, very easy to allocate that. However, when you are buying an already built property, that's where it becomes challenging. And that's why you need the engineering component because now we have to assign values to every individual component based on number one, the overall purchase price, right? Meaning it may have cost, I don't know, a million dollars to build this building, right? 15 years ago, but now you bought it for $10 million. So now how do you allocate not only the, you know, the actual individual assets according to those percentage, how much they're in there, but also you know, there's been wear and tear to some of those. So there's also a, an amount of not only real depreciable basis, meaning how much of the real useful life of the property, those individual assets, but also how much is the tax useful life. So there's a whole calculation involved in, in coming up to how you get to that number, but essentially there's not a huge difference between buying a property that's, you know, was built 50 years ago versus something being built, uh, you know, 30 years ago or 10 years ago. Because again, we're looking at holistically the property as is now being purchased for that $10 million and now reverse engineering, basically seeing how much every component is worth. Oh, for sure. And, and you base it off that purchase price. So you really assign Correct. value for those components based on the purchase price at that moment in time versus, you know, whatever the, the depreciation quote unquote was for prior years. That's exactly that's that's awesome. So I guess how does this and this is more of a question I'm, I'm really curious about. So once you've performed a cost segregation study and you've already allocated uh, the different components to different schedules, how, how can you factor in future improvements? So like, let's say you wanted to add an addition or something to the property, similar to what you just said, it would just, would it just be based on the invoices that you, you have as a result of your, that, that action you've taken? Exactly. So the only time that you're, you can depreciate anything is when money is spent. So if you get a reevaluation, get a new appraisal and it's worth more, that doesn't actually change the depreciable basis. However, like you said, if you're putting capital improvements in, you're spending money to improve the property, all of that money should be capitalized, should be depreciated. And depending on what that money was spent on, it can be allocated to those different faster categories, those faster depreciation schedules. That's awesome. Great advice there. Yeah. So you can really right. you know, kind of double dip and you can 
yeah. get the benefit uh, twice sometimes, you know, based both on the acquisition. And then if you go ahead and renovate the property, you know, a year or two later, whatever, you can then write off whatever value is left on the stuff you dispose of. And then now take all that new stuff and get the depreciation of that at a faster rate. Yeah. Instead of having to do two separate studies, really, it's you have the study to, that, that's the basis. And then if you have any other improvements on top of that, you just kind of, you know, add on to the, well, not necessarily add on, but you, you, you I guess you, you understand. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, so I guess when would it be worthwhile to pursue a cost segregation study? Because I'm sure that, you know, if you own like a, maybe a $40,000 property, there may or may not be the, the, the enough, enough of value there to be able to do it. But at what point do you think would be a good time to kind of explore it as an option? Absolutely. So first of all, when we do a cost segregation study, you're getting about, uh, I'd say on average, depending on the type of property, but average about 20 to 30% of the overall cost that you can accelerate that depreciation to faster life. So it's a five-year schedule or a 15-year schedule. And there's something called bonus depreciation that allows you to take all of that accelerated depreciation in the first year as a huge tax write-off. So, you know, just to illustrate what that means, by a million dollar property, you could take 20% of that after land allocation. Of course, you have to take a certain amount for land, but you can essentially take about, you know, $180,000, $200,000 as a first year tax write off, right? Per million dollar property. So, you know, getting to your question, it's something that, um, you know, can definitely be done on any property, but the lower the cost of that purchase, the lower that real benefit's going to be. Because again, it's just a percentage. So, if you have $100,000 house, you're only going to get 20% of that, maybe to, you know, 20, $220,000 of extra depreciation first five years is not really worth it because a lot of it has to do with how much is actually going to cost to get this study performed. And to answer that, it d does depend on the size and shape, you know, and type of property, typically around $5,000 would be the average. There are definitely smaller properties can be, you know, closer to two or $3,000, larger commercial properties, maybe closer to seven or 8,000, et cetera. But on average, that's what we're looking at. So again, you have to make that calculation and see, does it make sense for me? My rule of thumb is any property purchased for over a half a million dollars, it's almost a no brainer. I mean, there's so much tax benefit there on a smaller property. We would definitely look at it and, you know, be able to have that conversation because especially if you're a real estate professional, it's for sure is going to make sense for you. That's awesome. Yeah, because you can apply some of the, that depreciation to your actual earned income. That's awesome. Exactly. All right. So, so we, we, we've, we've talked a lot about depreciation and some of the benefits, but now let's go through the process of when you fully depreciated your property. Um, what happens on, upon a sale? Because that's, that's the big thing is, from my understanding, once you fully depreciate a property and you were to execute a sale on that property and you didn't do some sort of other strategy, you would have to recapture some of the tax at, at the, on the back end. Is, is, that, is that correct? And, and how do you, I guess, mitigate that going forward? Yeah. So let's talk about depreciation recapture tax because it's a great, great subject. And so it's a lot, uh, a lot of confusion surrounding that as well. Um, and I'll even, you know, take a step back and say, not necessarily if the property is fully depreciated, because again, a commercial property takes 39 years to fully depreciate. Uh, residential takes 27 and a half years to fully depreciate. So what if what happens if you sell a property after two years or five years or 10 years? So we have to factor in all these options. So there's something called depreciation recapture tax, which means essentially when you sell a property, you have to pay a tax or you're subject to pay a tax of, of the amount of depreciation that you've taken. So if you took $100,000 of depreciation over the course of ownership of that property, you'll now pay a 25% tax on that. So you're not what, what people think of as recapturing the depreciation, right? 
you're not giving back all those deductions, but now you're just taking a tax, um, paying a tax on that. Now you have to obviously understand instead of paying the income tax upfront during those early years, right? You're going to pay a tax on the sale. So you're always going to have a spread because that recapture tax is less than, um, you know, than what you would have paid probably with your income tax, your, your normal, um, normal tax rate. However, there are, like you said, certain strategies um, that you can help you to actually get around that. So again, there are recapture tax. You definitely should factor that in, that it's going to be subject to the property, but there are other strategies that you can help uh, to use. And maybe we'll touch upon some of those strategies as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and maybe we could touch upon it. I mean, now, why not? I mean, upon the sale of, of your, your property, I know there's something called a 1031 exchange. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that and, and explain how that can actually help you going forward when it comes to um, saving on taxes, especially on, upon the sale of a property. Sure. So it's, um, you know, it's called a 1031 exchange based on the section of the tax code and the Internal Revenue Code 1031. And what that says essentially is <clears throat> you can defer capital gains tax by selling a property through this exchange. Okay. And basically what you're doing, instead of just selling a property outright and buying another property outright, you can basically exchange one property for the other, jumping through a bunch of hoops, right? There's a, there's a lot of rules and regulations around that. You have to set it up ahead of time, even before you sell the first property with proper documentation, with a qualified intermediary is what it's called. And the money needs to go into an escrow account. It cannot go to your hands. You can't pull anything out of that. And then you can buy a second property. Doing that, jumping through these hurdles, it's a, you know, a tool that allows you to do this and defer your capital gains tax, right? Capital gains tax means if you made a profit on the sale that you're going to have to pay a tax on that. What that also does, the 1031 exchange, is it defers the depreciation recapture tax. So you not only don't have to be subject to that tax of the capital gains or the depreciation recapture tax on the sale, you get to defer that and just it pushes it, right? Kicks the can down the road, as they say. And so if you exchange one property for another, and then maybe five years later, you decide to sell property B, you can exchange that one for a, you know, a third property and property C, you're also deferring that tax again and again and again. And that just hopefully, you know, doing it the right way, you can just keep doing that over and over and essentially never have to pay that recapture tax if done right or that capital gains tax. So it is something that can be, can be done, definitely should be looked into, um, but only done with uh, the right experts. Yeah, no, for sure. And like you said, it's a very, very uh, strict process. There's no extensions on any of these timelines. It's one of those things that you definitely, if that's something you're interested in doing, you need to talk to, you know, a professional who's done that on a, on a regular basis. So that's awesome. So I guess now after we kind of touched on the 1031 exchange process, I mean, there's been some talks about uh, potentially having the 1031 exchange laws re-looked at during this administration. I guess, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the proposed law changes regarding 1031 exchanges? And I, I guess do you, if, if the 1031 exchange for some reason does not no longer exist, how are there ways that we can kind of navigate uh, you know, some, doing something similar or, or achieving a similar goal going forward? Yeah, there, obviously there has been talks about that, but um, in my opinion, just like much of any politician's um, rhetoric during campaigning, it, it, most of it is filled with hot air. And unfortunately, um, or fortunately, I would say, uh, I have not heard any specifics in terms of anything of light of that sort coming to fruition. Um, and so 
I, I can talk theoretically if there were to be changes to that, but since 1031 exchanges have been around for uh, you know for decades already and have benefited people, including the members of Congress <laughs> and the House, it's not really in their interest to get rid of laws that uh, they have self-interest in. And um, you know whether you like it or not, there are lobbyists in Washington and the real estate industry is very strong um, you know, that are pushing to make sure these, these laws do not get uh, done away with. That being said, if it were to ever be done away with, I'm sure there would be other types, you know, they've discussed, I've read some articles, um, some literature about this, that they've discussed other types of tax credits to help real estate investors. So, you know, other things like that, the recapture, you know, if depreciation were to ever be gotten rid of, which again, I don't see ever happening, but that's one tool that you can actually use if you, even without a 1031 exchange, by having enough losses from a cost segregation study you know, being done, you can actually use those losses not only to offset your income tax, but to offset capital gains tax or recapture tax or other types of taxes. So you could potentially, uh, even if you failed or did not do a 1031 exchange and had a huge potential capital gains, you may be able to offset that with just depreciation and other deductions as well. So it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective on it because obviously there's been a lot of talk about it. So I thought I'd just ask you as a- Absolutely. Uh, well, we're, um, it, but. besides for the cost segregation, Madison Specs, our company, we have a number of other um, kind of sister companies under one umbrella. Uh, one of them is Madison 1031. So we are a qualified intermediary. The head of that company is a man by the name of um, David Medinitz. And he has, you know, one of the most uh, celebrated attorneys in the country on this subject. And he's testified before Congress, you know, all these things. He's right, written the questions uh, on the test for the qualified intermediaries, right, to get the licensing, all that kind of stuff. So he knows about this more than anything. And that's really what he told me. And he is, uh, I've heard him speak about this subject as well as kind of leaning on his expertise um, and his knowledge on the subject. I mean, it's probably a good person to lean on for that. I can imagine. Yeah, exactly. So. That's awesome. So I guess to round things out, I just wanted to kind of ask you, what are some of the resources that you recommend? Obviously, for those of you guys who don't know, Yona has a podcast called Weiss Advice, which he does have quite a few commercial real estate speakers come on. But maybe you can recommend any other resources to learn a little bit more about the cost segregation. Uh, cost segregation is a tax strategy. Yeah, sure. I mean, so on Weiss Advice podcast, we don't ever talk about cost segregation because it's just really my, you know, a forum to talk with the real estate investors about anything. But I would say I've been a guest on about 200 podcasts out there. So if you want to go to my website, yonawise.com, you can find many, many different um, topics on that subject talked about there. Unfortunately, I haven't found many books or resources that really discuss this topic at length, besides of actually like really scholarly, um, you know, literature accounting literature and stuff like that, which is pretty boring, to be honest with you. I'm not one to read like tax law and all that stuff. And maybe you are, you can research that. There's the Journal of Accountancy. You can go to the IRS's website and find the cost segregation audit techniques guide to learn all the you know details of how this works. Um, you know, I wish there were, were more literature. I do believe um, I'd recommend a great podcast. Um, Brandon Hall is also pretty active on Bigger Pockets, has a podcast called The Real Estate CPA. And they talk a lot about these subjects um, and they put out a lot of content, the real estate CPA. Other than that, maybe I should write a book. Who knows? Next step, man. Let's Next step. That's awesome. Are there any, I guess, in, uh, 
national organizations or anything that focus on cost segregation or is it more of just you know national tax account accountancy type of organizations it is more you know accountant and again even accountants don't because it's not really an accounting thing most accounting firms don't even deal with this there is a um a kind of fringe organization called the i believe it's called um it's a nonprofit organization the i forget what it's called it's uh, the american institute of uh cost segregation uh, associates or something like that. And essentially they, you know, they do some lobbying on the subject and they, you know, have some, some content and some literature there. Um, but essentially it was created by uh, a conservation company to kind of get more, more eyes on them. Oh, for sure. Okay. Well, those are the kind of the, the, the base questions I had for you. I definitely wanted to give uh, the rest of the audience an opportunity to ask some questions if they had it. So if you guys sure. have any questions in particular, feel free to type away in the Zoom chat. And on, for those of you guys who are watching on Facebook, um, feel free to ask questions as well. So, All right, I got a few questions coming in. Let's see. So Sam, hey, Sam, uh, can you cost segregate a property in a trust? That's a great question. Yes, excellent question. You, you can. Um, it will depend on the type of trust. A trust is a very broad term and there are many different types of trusts. So I would definitely check um, you know, with your accountant, make sure that it is in some type of, type of trust that can benefit from this because there are many tax shelters and things like that that cannot necessarily be uh, used because again, if it's in a tax shelter where that income is in that trust or in that tax shelter and not being uh, taken out from there. So also the depreciation will not help to, to offset that. Awesome. All right. Trevor has a question. He, he says, what are the most common objections to utilizing cost segregation studies? Um, the most common objections, I would say there's not a lot of objections because most of it just comes from lack of understanding or lack of knowledge around the subject. But I would say some objections might be number one, um, people think that you can only do it on new properties or you can only do it in the first year of buying a property, which is not true. You can do it on you know, old properties, on acquired property. You can do it on uh, properties that you've owned for a number of years and never did it. You can do the consideration retroactively. I'd say another objection might be the cost of getting the study done. Um, I've seen many articles online quoting, you know, this may not be worthwhile because it might cost you 10, 20, $30,000 to get done, or they may be charging you a percentage of your tax savings, which is not true either. Uh, like I said, our average cost of doing these is around $5,000 less on smaller properties. So definitely can make sense. Um, uh, another objection might be, oh, what happens when I sell the property? Don't I have to recapture that? Don't I have to give all those tax savings back? And again, as we explained, the recapture tax is something that you're subject to on the sale. It doesn't mean you're paying it all back. And the time value of money in the interim is oftentimes enough to really give you much more benefit. And I will add to that something I didn't mention before, but if looking in a bubble and kind of just looking at any property at, in a vacuum, if you will, and saying, well, yes, I'm buying this property today and maybe 10 years from now, I'm going to sell it and have that recapture tax. But what about, what if you are someone who is actually buying properties constantly? What if you are buying a property every year, every other year, every few years, or maybe you're going to buy a property in the same year that you're going to sell that other property? Well, guess what? To you, that recapture tax is not the same as someone who just has one property 
and then sells it 10 years later. Because to you, the depreciation you can get from one property or any of your rental properties, all of that is lumped together and pulled together. So you may actually be able to continue using this strategy year after year or property after property to keep your tax liability to zero or you know, close to that throughout the interim of your investing career. So um, that's another important factor to understand when it comes to recapture tax. Awesome. Sam has another question. So he actually says, is it possible to cost segregate the improvements made by the tenant? And how many years after purchase can you do a cost segregation study? Yeah, excellent question, Sam. Tenant improvements can certainly be taken by the tenant. Whoever owns those improvements can take the tax deductions from that. So a really great example is, let's say, you know, you're a commercial tenant and the tenant is spending $500,000 or something to upgrade this they can now take and cost segregate that entire spend. And especially for commercial property, there's something called a qualified improvement property, QIP, which is essentially the same thing as bonus depreciation that we discussed, which allows you to certain components that are non-structural that you're doing improvements after the acquisition of the property, you can now take that as a first year tax write-off. So a huge amount, huge bonus upfront in the first year. Um, However, to answer your second question, which is how, how many years after the purchase can you do a conservation study? Really, there's no limit. Theoretically, you can do it as far back as you want. But if you know, you've already held a property for 10 years or so, there's less overall depreciation left to take and to front load or to accelerate that. So I usually say, you know, definitely under five years usually makes sense. After that, let's look on, on a property to property circumstance. And, and see if it makes sense. Great advice. Awesome. All right. Phil has a note, has a question. So he said, are there any options for cost segregation as it relates to land, specifically when looking to offset the cost of horizontal infrastructure slash land development? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, so again, land does not depreciate. So usually if you're just buying raw land, um, there's not a lot there. Um, and even if there is, you know, horizontal infrastructure, things like that in the property, a lot of that would be um, not depreciated at a faster rate. So for example, like putting piping and plumbing, you know, et cetera, infrastructure, electrical infrastructure, those, I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to, but those infrastructure components in a property are depreciated on a longer, a structural schedule. Okay, so on a 39 year or 27 and a half year schedule, so conservation is not going to apply to that whatsoever. So nothing um, can really help you there. I although I will touch on something that is related to that that just kind of popped in my head, because as we mentioned, land improvements can be depreciated at a faster rate. So pavement, concrete, landscaping, things like that. Think about a golf course for a second. A golf course is a, a kind of unique type of property and it's a business property. And literally because of all the landscaping that's involved there, we're seeing the golf courses that we've done 70 to 80% or sometimes even more of the entire property purchase price can be allocated as a faster depreciation, which again is, can be a game changer. I mean, especially with the bonus depreciation, that means you can take 100% of that in the first year. Think about it, you buy a million dollar golf course and take a first year $700,000 tax write-off uh, it's a pretty pretty good deal, especially if you're buying the property with with a, a loan with leverage, because it's based on your purchase price, not how much you put down. So that's a, a big, big game changer there. Oh sure, and you can offset. I mean, I'm assuming if, for the income that 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 golf course produces, you would offset all that income. And if you had other properties or any other property in your real estate professional, then you could offset that income exactly. as well. That's awesome. 
Okay. I actually got a question. Uh, this is more so related to online cost segregations. I feel like I've read some some different articles about it. Could you kind of touch on what that is and if it's even something that's worth pers- pursuing? Sure. Yeah. It's um, it's very interesting subject. It's come up uh, about in the past couple of years. I do. Um, I have seen it around. Basically, there's some companies that have developed some sort of algorithms that allow you to do kind of a do-it-yourself or a software that will punch out the numbers without actually having the engineering component to it, without actually having a site visit. So according to the Cost Segregation Audit Techniques Guide, which I mentioned before, there are several different methods to do a cost segregation study, but the only one that is audit proof, meaning if you were to get audited, it would stand up for sure if if followed, is something called the quality cost segregation study, which includes the engineering report uh, component, the site visit includes all of the, you know, there's a whole numbering system and whole nomenclature, whole analysis, legal analysis, citing to sources. None of that is done in these software versions, which means it still may be somewhat recognized, but in the end of the day, if a person were ever to get audited, it would not stand up um, to an audit. So they are maybe, I've heard some accountants say it might be worthwhile on very small residential properties. There's very low risk. And so maybe just get it done. It costs a few hundred bucks or whatever, pay for it. And then if you're ever audited, these companies offer an audit um, kind of insurance policy. If you pay an extra thousand bucks or two thousand bucks or whatever it is on top of that you get an insurance policy which says that if you were ever to get audited they'll come and do a full engineering cost segregation study to protect you which in my mind is counterproductive because why don't i just make up the numbers myself like why pay a few hundred bucks to get a to get a software to do it when i could just make up the numbers myself and if i'm very audited i'll hire a company so to me that that's where where it comes from i think it's kind of like a a thing our company looked into that, but saw that it just was not really a feasible model. So we we did not pursue that. No, for sure. I just I, I just remember seeing a few articles on it, and so I thought I'd kind of just touch base with yeah. you on that. I mean, listen, if nowadays if you can make anything into a software and streamline things, um, it you know is potentially a good a good tool. Except you know if 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 the IRS and the audit you know doesn't recognize it, then it's only good as long as as long as you can get away with it. Oh, definitely for sure. So Betsy, hey, Betsy, she has a question. She says, does, uh, I guess, similar to, to uh, our questions about the golf course, uh, oh, right. does, golf does it apply for a golf course that's just built? Yeah, and she followed up with a question, the next one. You see, oh, she did? Betsy. Oh, okay. So she just said, we built a golf course and finished it in 2020. We know that we can begin depreciating irrigation lines, tees, and greens, but if you can cost segregate all the sod and grass that is planted on the rest of the course and write that off, that would be beneficial. Yes. So you're 100% correct. That's exactly what you can do. All the sod, the grass, landscaping, and other things as well. I mean, there's uh, to believe it or not, there are so many components in there. And, and if you've developed one, you have all the breakdown of costs. It's going to be much easier to understand and to be able to allocate those costs into those um, those categories and definitely get you a huge, huge tax write-off on that. So definitely happy to speak with you further on that and explain how that could work. That's awesome. So Phil has another question. Uh, well, we're glad to be able to provide you with some great answers, Phil. But uh, he was asking... Uh, what options are there to separate the depreciation from the property slash entity itself? Example, could the tenant improvement based depreciation be sold or scrutinized securitized. or securitized? I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if the tenant improvements are, are sold then that is a, you know, a sale, any sale 
um, kind of resets depreciation. And so that can be done depending on who the tenant is. And, you know, if it's the same as the owner of the property, I mean, sometimes you can get into some, some legal issues there in terms of whether depreciation resets or not, whether it's an, an arm's length transaction or a non-arm's length, but, um, but simply put the, um, the depreciation could potentially be separated. Um, you could sell off in a contract, you know, personal property or things like that. And that's done oftentimes, you know, you can separate within a sales agreement, the personal property from, you know, the actual building itself. So yeah, it's potentially can be done. Awesome. All right. Any other questions we have here in the zoom chat? Let me check Facebook real quick. Okay. Yeah, it looks like you answered all the questions uh, that everyone had. Um, first off, I just want to thank you so much for stopping by and being able to share your insights with the group. Uh, as far as being able to get in contact with you, if people have any questions or they're interested in doing a cost segregation study, how, what's the best way to be able to get in contact with you? And maybe if you could share your social media handles and everything else, I'll also put them in the show, the show notes below. This will be recorded and posted on YouTube as well. So. Cool. Yeah. I mean, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm pretty very active on that uh, platform. Again, you can also go to uh, yonaweiss.com. Uh, that's pretty easy way to contact me. LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on all those platforms. Just Yona Weiss, Y-O-N-A-H-W-A-S-S. Pretty straightforward, simple. And if you do reach out to me and send a request, just put a little note. You saw me on this, uh, this, this uh, stream this meetup so I can kind of put a, a face to a, a name. I see a lot of names here, but no faces. So unless everyone wants to turn the camera on and we'll do a big screenshot and we can post it and say, yeah. we all attended this great thing. We learned about cost segregation, but it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, we got there we go. Popping on right now. Betsy. Yeah. Hey. All right. Thanks, Phil. thanks for asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. Great question, Betsy. Mm -hmm. I'll definitely be following up. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. Anytime. Oh, for sure. Okay. Well, I guess we'll, we'll skip that part. <laughs> no, for sure. No. And, and, and I'll, and I'll go ahead and, and uh, like I said, this will be recorded. So if you guys want to check this out, this will be on YouTube uh, in perpetuity. So thanks again so much for all you guys stopping by and we'll see you guys next time. See you guys. Awesome. Thanks for following. See, see you, Jonah. Bye.